0: To get started visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: Folks have been saying it for some time but the more the health services under pressure the more people are going to be, I suppose, drawn to spending their own money on getting their bodies rectified and ratified. And it is indeed a, a challenge because many people can't afford to do it. Some people will borrow. Some people will use savings that they have for another reason. Uh, and, of course, there will be people who will have to thole with the pain and hope that they get to the end of the never-ending waiting list. What can be done? Indeed, I, I want to speak to Colin McGrath Uh, who's available to have a a conversation with us, a SDLP health spokesperson. Uh, Colin, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Colin, it's very worrying that more and more people really are accepting now that they're spending their savings on all forms of medical intervention.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the situation is unfair, and in fact, I think it's actually unjust I mean, people will have often contributed into the health service through their lifetime in their national insurance contributions. And then whenever they actually get to the stage of needing um, the health service to help them, they're not able to access in a timely manner um, the assistance that they need. And there are so many people that come into the constituency offices, uh, such as mine and and right across the place, where they're in significant pain. um, They're often in considerable discomfort. Um, And in some cases, they're um, massively being prevented from actually undertaking the the, the basic functions of life, of getting out and about, going to the shops and catching up with family and friends, or even in some instances, they're they're not able to work. And then, of course, what happens is that whenever people are in that situation where they're maybe having to wait, um, I've seen waiting lists, albeit that was for slightly minor Um, conditions and procedures where they've been told up to six years that they're having to wait um, before they'll get that treatment. And what happens is, as they have that day in daily pain, then they're going to the GP surgeries, they're going to the emergency departments, they're going to their practice nurses, and that's making the list there even longer, which prevents people from being able to access those services as well. So I'm afraid that we just have a health service at the moment that is robbed of resources and capacity and it's sort of not being able to um, prioritise people's quality of life. Uh, or indeed their dignity. So I I can understand why people in a scenario like that will turn to the private sector, but I just think it's deeply deeply unfair.
1: Are we too keen to promote the private sector? There are those that will argue we couldn't get by without them because the NHS delivers some of the work to the private sector to get the NHS work done. Then there are others who will turn to the private sector simply because they can't wait anymore, they can't throw the pain, and they possibly have the money or they can borrow the money and they're going to get the procedure carried out via the private sector. But critics of that sector will say that they they tend to concentrate on the work that's easier to do. The more complex work is still lumbered with the NHS and as a result there's more of a backlog in the NHS when the private sector get an opportunity to carry out the work that's easier to do.
0: Well, what I would say, Matt Frank, is I see there are two separate issues. First of all, there's a two-tiered system, and then we also have dysfunction. So first of all, the two-tiered system, which is that those that are on waiting lists for an awful long time, um, they will often be um, on those lists because of, um, as the National Health Service might prioritise it, as slightly um, lesser conditions. But for those individuals, if it's a hip replacement or a knee replacement or a cataract, the impact on their quality of life is such that if it's going to be two years, three years, four years, and they have access to the funding, then they will go and use the private sector to get that treatment done. Now, that that creates a two-tier system because those that don't have the money then have to wait um, on the lists and have to wait a longer period of time. But where the dysfunction comes into it is whenever we've had this in the past, and, and this has happened on several occasions, the waiting lists become so long that eventually the the, the the department will throw a huge amount of money at the private sector and ask them to deliver um, services that will reduce those waiting lists down, maybe sometimes cutting them down in half um, so that there's less pressure on the National Health Service. And, of course, the easiest ones to put through the door in big numbers are the simpler procedures, and they will reduce some of those waiting lists down. But if you're going to fix the waiting lists in that way to reduce them down, it's incumbent then about putting the transformation in so that we don't end up with the big long waiting lists again in a few years' time. It's almost like the um, the health services version of boom and bust. You know, they they whenever there's big long waiting lists, they grow, they grow, they grow, they send them off to the private sector to get sorted out. They don't bother dealing with the issue that created the waiting lists and then in a few years' time we're left with the big long waiting list again. That's not the way to deliver health service properly. It's not working for people.
1: How much of a problem is the shortage of senior staff at consultant level? Because some of these consultants are working in the NHS and in the private sector. So if they're very busy in the private sector and the private sector is
0: more lucrative, are
1: they taking their eye off the ball in the NHS sector?
0: Well, what is happening is, first of all, they're able to do that. And I think that that's a conversation that needs to be had. I know that in other countries and other models, if people are signed up to a particular service, then that's the service they deliver. They're not able to operate across um, different sectors. So there could be a conversation about whether consultants have to choose. Either they work wholly and exclusively for the National Health Service or they work wholly and exclusively for the private sector and that they make that choice. Um, and that means that those consultants that are in the National Health Service will be functioning fully uh, on those lists. Um, but as I say, if we create uh, a market force within the services that are being delivered for health, if we continue to keep paying for the private sector to deliver those then we create those market forces and and the National Health Service, a nationalised service, will never do well in competition with the private sector. Um, And that's why we need to put our emphasis and maintain our emphasis on the National Health Service so that it is delivering for local people. If
1: someone needs a hip replacement next week and they're in agony and they've been paying into the system since they started to work, should they not be entitled if they can't get the hip replacement done via the NHS or free on the private sector via the NHS, should they not be entitled to some form of refund after they pay for it out of their own pocket or borrowed money?
0: I think, Frank, I'm going to call you a mind reader because that was just something that I was having a conversation about yesterday. Um, I I have to put a a health warning, as it were, appropriately that this is just a conversation. It's not a defined policy as yet. But maybe we do need to look at um, if people are uh, on long-term waiting lists, is there a way that they can somehow or another get a refund for the treatment that they get in the private sector? Now, it might be a case of For example, they could maybe pay for their service um, this week, but maybe if their turn was in two years' time on the list, then in two years' time they could get the refund whenever it would have been their time, because otherwise then those that have the money would be jumping the queue and that wouldn't be fair. But there was a system broadly similar to this that operated on um, a, a European basis, but more... Uh, regularly used on a north-south basis. There was a fund of money set aside last year by the Minister and in previous years, and people could have gotten pre-approval, uh, went to the, um, the south, uh, had their treatment there, and then came back and claimed the money back for that. But it was a very, very small pot of money that was set aside for that last year. It was only a number of millions of pounds, and regrettably, in health service, a number of millions of pounds doesn't buy you an awful lot of um, cases. So uh, there is, I think, a system in there. But, Frank, I'm, I'm shouting into an empty room while we don't have stomach, we don't have an executive, we don't have an assembly. And while we have one political party that wants to prioritise one single issue... and and focus purely on that and prevent the rest of us from being able to do our work in delivering these types of services. And let's face it, there's over 250,000 people that are waiting for appointments out there. That's a massive amount of our community that are waiting. And I think if you were to ask them, is it a framework or would you rather have your health treatment? I think I know what the answer would be.
1: I know the majority of people would like to see the executive back, and that includes unionists who'd like to see the framework dealt with. People would like, the majority of people would like to see good government here for Northern Ireland, but there are hiccups and holdups along the way, which we've discussed infinitum on this programme. Having said that, if they were back tomorrow, History tells us they can't work it out because they've never resolved it in the last 15 years.
0: And I think that's fair criticism. I think that's criticism that we have to, A, take on the chin because we haven't sorted it out in the past. But then I think what we need to do is that people out there, those 250,000 people or so that are on waiting lists and, and, and those that are worried about their education sector and those that are worried about the road, then they have to measure us. Of course, an executive forming next week is not going to have the health service sorted out in three or four weeks after it. But if we never start, then we're never going to achieve the change that needs to be done. And you and I have just had a conversation, albeit very briefly, about one possibility that could be there to try and help and assist people and to get those witnesses down. That sort of direction needs to be teased out within a ministry. It needs to be teased out within the department, within the health committee. That might take a number of months, maybe a little bit longer. But if we don't start doing it, we're never going to do it. And those 250,000 people, that list is just going to get longer.
1: And that is a concern and a worry, there is no doubt, because something that's as long as it is at the moment getting longer is just a disaster.